welcome back. This is the second hour of the live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett here broadcasting from the studio, the roof, rooftop studio here in Saidia, Morocco, bringing on guests willing to question the official narratives. We just uh, talked with Jason Horsley about a whole bunch of questioning of various official narratives. And now let's get on to the big kahuna that is 9-11. That's the topic that got me exiled from academia and uh, ruined my chances of becoming a normal, productive, mainstream employed citizen and brought me to where I am now talking about this stuff on alternative radio. So the touchstone of our conversation about 9-11 in this hour is the new book from Mike King, Crash Course, 9-11 Inside Job, debunking the official story in just one hour. And it crams a whole lot of topics into just one hour. Many of those topics are familiar to much of my audience. Uh, the demolitions, Building 7, Larry Silverstein, the dancing Israelis, the magic passports, uh, Project for New American Centuries, New Pearl Harbor, and on and on and on. But some of the uh, topics in this book, even though Mike King was onto this years ago, a lot of folks, even some folks in the truth movement, haven't heard much about the Zionist E-Team and Gelatin Art Groups, the October 2001 Israeli attempt to bomb the Mexican Congress and blame Al-Qaeda, and uh, the murder of 9-11 widow and truth seeker Beverly Eckert just after she met with then-President Barack Obama. These are just a few of the items that really deserve more play in Mike King's new book. So let's talk about it. Welcome, Mike. How are you doing? Hello, Kevin. Good to be with you. Yeah, nice to have you back. It's at least been a few years, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. We need to talk more uh, more often. And, uh, we should. You know, you know, it's interesting in your opening uh, monologue. I, I refer to um, what happened to you as uh, being kicked out of the cool kids club, the academic cool kids club, <laughs> which has happened to yeah. many, many people over the, the decades, actually. Yeah, I'm sure it has. And it didn't take me that long to realize that actually all the, the, the really cool people are all out here on the outside looking in, I guess, or not even bothering to look in anymore because there's very little of interest going on on the inside of that yeah. asylum. Yeah. 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 It's quite a Let, click. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they do. They kind of, you know, the, the number of the, you know, the bubbles that they keep uh, inflating and, and maintaining. Uh, and and that we keep popping, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite astounding. Uh, you, know, yeah. you and I talked about World War II revisionism last time you were on the show, I think, and that topic is has got even more relevance than ever now, I guess, with this Holocaust in Gaza, which is actually a real Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is slowly but surely. I mean, you know, and this happened with uh, Napoleon too, uh, about about a century after those events. It was permissible, at least in France, to uh, to speak highly of him. And so his his legacy is still tarnished, but you're allowed to talk about it and revisit some of his accomplishments. Um, I mean, that's the way truth is. So you can crush it down, but not forever. And it does seem like we're in the opening stages of uh, you know an increased acceptance of World War II truth, which is important because I regard that as the very bottom of the rabbit hole. And, you know, my book, The Bad Boar, was removed from Amazon for that reason. Uh, but it's still available at my website, realnewsandhistory.com. It's no longer Tomato Bubble. It's realnewsandhistory.com. You can still get The Bad War if you look 
on the menu and all of my other banned books. So, so Amazon doesn't doesn't Amazon insists that everybody has to think that World War II was the good war. That's right. Well, it's interesting, Kevin, because for years they carried the bad war and it's uh, it sold very well. And and back then, if if you were able to generate initial sales on your own, uh, their system, their algorithms would recognize that, and then they would begin marketing it for you. So at one point, the bad war would show up on the first page of Amazon search engine if you searched under World War II. And to their credit, Amazon for years resisted pressure from the ADL to remove certain books dealing with the so-called Holocaust and, and, and World War II, and they refused. It was only in 2018 when there was a rash of bomb threats being called into Jewish community centers across the country, uh, culminating with vandalism of a synagogue and a Jewish cemetery in Seattle, uh, which is in the shadow of Amazon headquarters, as you know. And finally, they caved in and they removed 25 books. So evidently, they had the list all ready to go. The ADL did. And my bad war was one of them, which I'm proud to say. Well, uh, as, as I recall, I, what, what, wasn't that series of bomb threats actually phoned in from Israel from a, by a young man whose uh, uncle, I think his uncle was Mordecai Kadar, as I recall, the last name of this young man who phoned in all of these bomb threats that were blamed on anti-Semites. Turns out he's Israeli, an Israeli Jew, and his uncle Mordecai, as I recall, was a notorious Shin Bet Israeli intelligence operative who was notorious for his extreme viciousness and cruelty towards Palestinians. Well, they do assure us, Kevin, that the, the young man was mentally unstable. So, you know, it's like a lone well, gunman type of thing. came from a family like that, I'm sure he was. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, so it was a total Israeli operation. Uh, and that's when Amazon finally began uh, censoring. Uh, now, this book we're going to talk about today, Crash Course 9-11 Inside Job, ironically, is on Amazon. So apparently, uh, you know, as long as you behave yourself and stay away from the whole hoax, they, they will tolerate uh, certain controversial books. So, so you're still allowed to question 9-11 on Amazon. I guess that's a good thing. Not that I'm making all that much money from my Amazon 9-11 titles. <laughs> yeah. Well, they still do shadow banning and suppressing because I, I did generate a nice batch of initial sales on this. Uh, but now it's petering out. Whereas in the past, every time I put a book on there, it would only intensify because they, they're like, oh, we got a winner here. So obviously they're making a cut on it. Uh, but now they don't do that anymore. So the books that they don't ban, if they're still not politically correct, they find a way to uh, deny them the, uh, um, the marketing help that they would give them in the past. And you and you know that the you know Mossad-approved uh, psyop books are being boosted now. They've got the algorithms tuned so they can uh, shadow ban your book, and then they can boost the uh, the garbage being cranked out by their uh, their minions. Exactly. Yeah. But it still doesn't seem to be working. I mean, more and more people are waking up. Uh, like all of the people under 25, pretty much all of the sane ones or, you know, three digit IQ ones are turning against Israel. The polls now show the, the majority of young Americans yeah. between 18 and 24 think that Israel should be put out of its misery. They all side with Hamas. <laughs> uh, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it is. Good, but, you, you know, when you realize that the up and coming generation, um, I mean, they, they had a totally different experience that, that, than, than we had. I mean, in some ways, they're handicapped with a lot of stuff. But, you know, when we boomers came up, it was just ABC, CBS, you know, NBC pounding you. 
and New York Times, Washington Post, and that was it. That was the media. Well, okay? I, I used to read underground and, newspapers. Well, right. So in order to get alternative information, you have to really go looking for it, you know, certain newspapers and pamphlets. Uh, so, so, you know, your market was extremely limited. Uh, today, with all the various avenues out there, uh, you know, it, it's like all these wild horses have left the barn. You know, they, they just can't round them up again. So that's that's a good thing. There's a there's a lot of um, possibilities with this younger generation. I mean, I, on the one hand, they're I mean, they're damaged in so many ways. But in, in another respect, you know, they, they haven't been pounded and brainwashed with this stuff. So they're more and, 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 and let me let me go ahead and defend them on some of these things that I, I usually am attacking them over with yeah. my guests. Uh, like, okay, first there's of course the the sex and gender weirdness. Okay, well, you know, every young generation basically is always rebelling to some extent against yeah. the sexual strictures of its elders. That's been going on, you know, ever since Romeo and Juliet went went up against the Capulets yeah. and the Montagues, right? Uh, because the older generation is wiser and basically wants to sort of restrain young sexuality and arrange productive marriages and things like that. And then the young people are all kind of, you know, driven by their hormones and anarchic and their imaginations and, and their hearts, all this sort of thing. So there's always been that conflict. And so like what was really left to, you know, to push the frontiers of, uh, of sexual adventurism uh, at, at this time in history, other than all this completely insane stuff that the young people are doing today. Yeah. So that's my defense of that. And then the second thing is that this whole woke business of, oh, the, you know, the poor oppressed this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, I agree that they're getting some of those things wrong, but not all of it. I mean, it's true that the, you know, European colonization of the world over the past 500 years has been very ugly. And uh, and so the darker pigmented people uh, and and the Asians, I suppose, uh, even the northern ones have all been mistreated. So that's I mean, and, and you know, African-Americans to have some very valid gripes, to say the least. Uh, the there's an argument for left wing economics up to a certain point. So there's all, they're not entirely wrong about that either. So so maybe the uh, you know, maybe we're not doomed. Maybe those young people uh, yeah. are actually. And, and, and it's also but, it's also the case historically as they age and mature. Uh, you know, they, they tend to moderate a little bit and come back closer to you know, a more reasonable place. So there, there, there's, yeah, only, exactly. there's also hope in that respect. <clears throat> um, and, and once the, the engine feeding it starts to falter, or if not necessarily falter, but that's, you know, too much competition out there, uh, you know, they, they may not be as successful in, in you know, doing the brainwashing that, they need to do so it's not totally lost i i i, I do agree with you um but it, in a way it's it's almost in spite of whatever problems there are it's almost better to deal with that than some of the the, the older generation who just uh you can't reach them you know yeah so, yeah so, so some of the kind of old, some of the older conservative types that you know they all most of them hated me when I was a 9-11 truth scapegoat in 2006. I was you know, yeah. attacked by Republicans. And and then a lot of those people kind of woke up and got red-pilled by Trump and the Trump movement. Well, first Ron Paul before and then and then Trump and yeah. so on. 
And and so, you know, by the, before I left America last year, I was hanging around Republicans. I was going to the Republican events, Republican picnics, Republican get togethers and stuff. And they were all, you know, eat, eating up all the conspiracy literature, you know, taking the conspiracy books. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, but but a lot of those people, they still a bunch of them anyway. You know, they, they still believe this nonsense about, you know, Israel, Palestine. And they're, you know, yeah. that, that just boggles my mind. Yeah, yeah, it, that's going to take a while. And and that is why, and you know, a lot of people in our community don't understand this. And I, I try to explain this. And they just can't get it. They say, oh, Trump's a Zionist. He's one of them, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he has to deal with these people, and he has to deal with 30 million evangelicals who, who worship Israel. So it's a, it's a very delicate uh, set of maneuvers that he's had to make over these last few years. I mean, the, the, the trick is, how do you make war against the Zionist entity uh, while at the same time keeping all of these people pacified? And, say, and the way he's done that, and brilliantly, is he does what he has to do, but he conceals his actions by blowing kisses at Israel, professing his love for Israel, making cosmetic gestures like moving the embassy to Jerusalem. It's not a big deal. And, and, and stuff like that. And in the process, he's also duped, you know, many people in our movement who are just convinced that he's an Israeli shill, uh, but he's not, he's absolutely not. He has systematically and deliberately stripped Israel of most of its weapons. He's defanged Israel. So wait, wait, wait. Okay, like, so I you, yeah. here I'm I'm one of those people that thinks uh, Trump was pretty much led by the nose by uh, by Kushner and Netanyahu. So what exactly did Trump do to take away Israel's weapons? Okay, well I I, I you have to look at the powerful stuff that, and not the the cosmetic gestures. One such weapon is, is Epstein's Island, which was a major Mossad blackmail operation. And, and I believe that will come out in due time, just how extensive it was. Well, yeah, I agree. Uh, but that was that was totally Mossad. I mean, Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, uh, known Mossad agents. He's buried in a place of high honor in Israel. Um, a, a Mossad people attended his funeral, Robert Maxwell. Of course, they, they uh, killed him. West. They killed him, but they, they worship him, too. <laughs> well, he, he, he sometimes these guys get too big for their britches and there's an yeah. internal conflict exactly exactly uh, then yeah. less less wexner of victoria's secret he was uh Epstein was just a front man he was just a high school math teacher you know very, you know very very intelligent guy but he was just a front man it wasn't his money uh but this is a major israeli Mossad operation and who put it out of business it was on his last day as attorney general is, is when um jeff sessions trump's boy jeff sessions gave the order and they, they shut it down so all of those people are no longer under blackmail. Um, so I mean, that was a huge loss for, for the Mossad. And the, while this is going on, okay, he, he continues to profess his love for, for, for Israel. Uh, another weapon that was taken away from Israel was ISIS, which is a Mossad front operation. And uh, Trump's role in that was in his third month in office, he defunded issued the order, defunded the CIA's funding of the so-called moderate rebels of Syria, which is just a euphemism for ISIS. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, right. So I mean, he took their money away. And meanwhile, he's taking their money away. You know, Russia, Putin is bombing them. Um, 
but they withered away. We don't hear anything about ISIS. They were active in 40 different countries. So this was basically a, just a, a mercenary army controlled by Mo, uh, Mossad, CIA, which they could activate whenever they needed to create destabilization. So that's gone. Uh, number three, the, the neocons. These, these people ran the Republican Party, and they hated Trump. I'm talking about Bill Kristol and uh, Kagan, the whole PNAC mafia. He drove them out of the Republican Party, both out, out of the party itself and the, the media organs uh, of, of neocondom. Did, did, um, did, you, did you see Robert Kagan's op-ed in the Washington Post, basically, uh, in so many words, calling for Trump's assassination? This was just a few months oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Now, they're in, they're in a panic. Uh, they're saying he's going to be a dictator. He's going to start executing people when he comes back, uh, et cetera. You know, you, uh, the, the fear is palpable. If, if only. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. But but putting the neocons out of business, I mean, this is the bunch that did 9-11, you know. This is the, I mean, the hierarchy. These people were above Bush and Cheney. Uh, well, but what, what about like, uh, you know, Pompeo and Bolton? I mean, they're, they're totally on the 9-11 perp team. And then, uh, you know, those guys, well, Pompeo anyway, yeah. seem likely suspects in the COVID bioattack on China. So, I mean, it, it looks to me like Trump was just working with a slightly yeah. different wing of neocons. Well, it's, you know, the ultimate judgment of Trump is going to be what he does in his in his return. That's the ultimate judgment, what, what, the, what the end game is. But I maintain that whatever people didn't like the first time around, uh, has to be judged in the context of a man who is absolutely surrounded by these people. And and the way you take them down is, uh, you know, the old adage, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. But uh, to have expected him in 2017 to just come in like sheriff and clean up town, it's just impossible. The entrenchment, so vast and so deep. This is a long process, and it's still going on. But Again, you know, if people want to, you know, maintain their skepticism, that's fine. But it has to be fair. It can't be just until you the game is over. And it's not over. It's just beginning. He's going to return. And he's, he has said specifically he's going to annihilate the deep state once and for all. Um, let's see what happens when, when he returns. But I, I have faith that he's, you know, doing the right thing and that, some of the, the things that we've had to put up with are, are, you know, necessity. I mean, that's just the way it is. This is the way it was when Putin came to town in Russia. He had to make all kinds of deals with the ruling oligarchs, all these Jewish oligarchs who are raping the country. Uh, but now in the end, all these guys are gone. They, they have fled for Israel, Dubai, uh, Britain, all the big Jewish oligarchs. Uh, Putin's put them out of business, but it was a long process, uh, you know. That's the way it is. When you have an entrenchment like this and you want to get rid of it through political means and legal means, um, it's going to take years of maneuvering. So Right. But, but see, the differences I see it, well, about a lot of differences, but one of the big differences is that uh, Putin is a very high, you know, very intelligent guy, uh, very capable, who came up in the deep state with lots of deep state intel type friends, military people around him who all see things kind of the way he does. So when they said, look, we're gonna have to do something drastic and take our country back, he had a whole team that could work on that project coherently. And you know, some have argued that the apartment bombings were actually designed to do this. And I don't know if that's true for sure or not. It wouldn't surprise me that much. 
so they were, you know, they, they were ruthless, but they, they really felt like they had to save their country. And so there was a whole team of competent people under a really competent leader, namely Putin, that's been pulling this off over this period. Now, Trump, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure he really well, has I, I, anybody I, I on the deep state. Very, on I think it's team. a very similar situation in, in that Trump, like Putin, is just the tip of the spear that we see. I do believe Trump has military intelligence uh, behind him. Uh, in the very beginning, he was, you know, very close to Admiral Rogers, um, who was head of the NSA at that time. Uh, so there, there's, it has always seemed that Trump has this kind of unseen guardian angel behind him, and that is the military intel. is a, a whole other topic. But uh, I am convinced in 2016 that these forces were able to suppress just enough voter fraud uh, on Hillary Clinton's part to, to enable Trump to win. I mean, nobody thought he could win. I, I certainly didn't. Um, but there is there is another force at play, and I don't. I, I, I when we say Trump, to me, it's not so much Trump the man, but Trump the the invisible the invisible forces behind them working for good, just like with Putin. No, well, I would like to you think know. that guys like you know Colonel Douglas McGregor. I'd like to think there are lots yeah. of people you know that haven't come gone public the way Colonel McGregor has, who see things the way he does, who yeah. would be on Trump's team and would move things in a better direction. But then I look at what Trump did, and and I don't think moving the embassy to Jerusalem was really just symbolic. I mean, symbols that kind of symbol matters. I mean, this is Jerusalem is of just you know you can't exaggerate the importance of the symbolic nature of Jerusalem which is holy to like the majority of the world's population, like, you know, five, five billion. Well, you know, he, but he's also, he's also followed up with that. And I, and because this is what he was doing all along, because, you know, building up his pro-Israel street cred enabled him right to be Netanyahu's face. It was some kind of press conference to say, well, you know, we've done a lot for Israel. We moved the embassy. Uh, we're going to do something nice for Palestine too. And he's they're spoken about a second state. A, a independent state with East Jerusalem as as the capital, and so there and there's people in Israel write about this. I dug up some newspaper editorials uh, saying you know people were excited about Trump moving the embassy, but they 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 don't they don't realize that uh, you know his, he may have a long range plan to impose you know a second state, and I, and I think when all the smoke settles, you're going to see an independent state, and it may have East Jerusalem as a, as its capital, but um, you know, again, you have to give something in order in order to to get something. And and Trump, by building up this unassailable uh, street cred credentials as as you know, Mr. Pro Israel, you know, he's he's put himself in in, in a position to you know do some of the the other maneuvers he's he's, he's done. And but I I think the ultimate culmination is going to be when he returns. I, I think it's high on his agenda to finish off this project in the Middle East and have Palestine uh, have its own country and live in dignity and uh, a final, a true final peace plan and the end of the Greater Israel Project. So, you know, again, we will see when he returns what happens because when he returns, Kevin, one way or another, he's going to have the kind of power. You hear the media squawking about this constantly now. He's going to be an authoritarian, <laughs> and indeed he is. Okay, all all of those internal Republican, 
you know, traders were stabbing him in the back. Paul Ryan, John McCain, Mitch McConnell. These guys are powerless now. When he comes back, he's going to he's going to have a rubber stamp of his people, and he is he is going to be able to roll and pretty much do whatever he wants. So, I just say, you know, withhold your final judgment um, until you know at least six months into his his return. I think that's fair. Okay. Well, I, I'm prepared to be uh, as disappointed by Trump as by all these other people. Obama, right, coming in with hope and change. He's going to be the anti-Bush, anti-Cheney thing. And then, you know, he too has to build up street cred with the Zionists and the military-industrial complex. And so the next thing you know, his policies are actually even worse than Bush's were. And I, I don't see Trump as being all that different. Like the guys he appointed, sure, they were, they were maybe a little better on Russia, but they kept arming Ukraine to the teeth in preparation for the war that Putin had to preempt. And likewise, they went and attacked China with a biological weapon and attacked Iran as well. They murdered Soleimani, bringing the world within you know a, a microsecond of uh, World War III. So, I, I mean, he, he ends up appointing these creatures. I think Pompeo and Bolton were actually vastly worse than anybody that anybody's appointed. I mean, Wolfowitz looks like a relatively sane person compared yeah. to Pompeo and Bolton. Well, all, all of this, you know, this is not much different than what Putin had to do in the early years when he uh, he, he made deals and he, he brought in these these oligarchs into his circle. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. And they're all gone now. So, um, you know, there's two ways of interpreting that. I, I see it all as... You know, the, these people are here. They're imposed on me. Uh, I work with them when I can until the day comes where I'm strong enough to come back with just my people and my people uh, alone. So. Okay. Well, we'll 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 see. Uh, I, I thought Robert. <laughs> I F. do. Kennedy I Jr. do start. I start my. Uh, I start my 9/11 book with a hopeful quote. Yeah. From Trump, from the very beginning, where it's my chapter's entitled "Who Really Did 9/11 and Why." This is Trump from last year. Uh, he was being interviewed at a golf event. He said, nobody has ever got, they were attacking him because the Saudis were responding to the event. People were saying, oh, the Saudis are involved. With 9/11. He said, no, nobody has ever gotten to the bottom of 9-11. Trump said that, unfortunately. And they should have, as to the maniacs who did this horrible thing to our city, to our country, and the world. And his, numerous times he's made these allusions to 9-11 as uh, not being solved and what really happened. Yeah. So um, that's a, that's a good sign. Yeah. And as you say in the yeah. book, you you pointed out that he he was questioning the uh, story of what happened to the buildings on day one. Yeah, yeah. On the on December twelfth, in several different interviews, he was just uh, astounded and just clearly expressed his disbelief that a, a hollow aluminum plane can penetrate a steel wall. And he knows a thing or two about building skyscrapers. Uh, so. Uh, you know, he was very, very clear on that from the very beginning. So he knows. Yeah, he knows. You know, um, you know, the critic critics will say, well, he was in president for four years. Why didn't he expose 9-11? I mean, these things take t- time. You have to understand the, the, the ruling power structure. If you're going to, like, dismantle it, uh, I, I mean, it just would not have worked. There's a, you have to sh- shoot when you see the whites of their eyes. So, I, again, I go back to withholding final judgment to the second term. But one thing's for, for a fact, you've done this multiple times right from the beginning. Uh, there was even an interview in the White House with George Stephanopoulos where he said point blank. He says, why did we go to war with Iraq? Iraq didn't do 9-11. Uh, 
you know that, George, and uh, we know did 9-11. I think you know, too. <laughs> and they edited, yeah. they edited that from their interview because some, some of their interview was shown on TV and posted on. But that part is a very lengthy interview. That, that's how they do it. These these uh, these tricksters like they'll, they'll inter- interview somebody for six so, hours. So, so how, how did we how did we get access there? How do you know that Trump said that? Oh, you can find it. Um, I'll see if I can find the link for it. you can find the entire uh, uh, Stephanopoulos uh, Trump interview. You know, so, so they posted it, but they just they posted an unedited version as well as their broadcast version. They um, yeah, there, there's like a full version, and then there's an excerpt version, and then there was a version of just version of just snippets that were shown on the actual news on the TV news over a number of nights. But I mean, you can get the complete one. Yeah, I'll find mm-hmm. it for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm aware that Trump said a whole lot of things indicating yeah. he's a closet truther. I I actually played a role in publicizing those when he was running in 2016, and then a lot of my sort of anti-Trump friends and colleagues got mad at me for doing that. He's oh, you're all you're going pro-Trump, and I said no, not really. I'm just trying I'm just trying to report the truth as I see it, and it's big news yeah. when a guy who's going to be elected president is saying things like this. Yeah. Why well, he, he he said it when he was running. He said it while he was president, and he said it last year as ex-president. So he keeps coming up. It's it's on his mind. This uh, I believe there's something afoot. And 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 back in I would say around 2010, give or take, he did a TV commercial for Serta mattresses, the Trump edition of Serta mattresses, something like that. And in the commercial, he's in a hotel, and there's uh, there's. Uh, there's various sheep standing on pedestals in front of the hotel doors. And there's two pedestals that you see that you see that are numbered. One is pedestal number nine for room nine. The other is pedestal number 11. And there's a sheep on top and he's speaking to the, the sheep of, you know, like whatever, how'd you sleep last night or something like that. But so you've got two pedestals, the two towers, one's a nine, one's an 11. Um, these kind of little signs, these little wink winks just keep coming up, you know? So uh, how many times can you dismiss it? But it just, it just seems like even as far as back then, there's, there's some kind of message. So right, um, right. things like that. Yeah. And on yeah. his truth social page now, a few months ago, he changed his image, his avatar uh, to his face with war paint on it. It's a cartoon image of Trump in red, white, and blue war paint. But on one side, you see the blue of the flag, there's nine stars. And then the other side is two vertical red stripes. Um, and then and then the, the, the number on the, on the blue portion of the flag, the numbers, it's kind of configured in a way so it looks like a giant nine with nine stars. And then you see the two stripes, two towers. So it, in essence, the war paint, 9-11 is written on his face. So... Uh, and there's other examples too. So, and I remember, I'm pretty sure it was you. I'm not sure, but while he was running in 2015 or 2016, and they were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him, I think you you speculated that part of the reason they're so afraid is they they might be under the impression that Trump's gonna uh, expose 9/11. Do you remember saying that? Well, yeah, because he he was obviously yeah. you know out off the reservation on that issue. He was you know he got he yeah. got Bush knock you know Jeb Bush got knocked out of the race when Trump said, "Hey, you know your brother That's was right. responsible yeah. for 9-11. Yeah, yeah, and he also made that comment uh, about there were people 
celebrating in Jersey City, and he said there was people in the areas where lots of Muslims live were seen celebrating, and that's the dancing Israelis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, obliquely. People, people, attacked, obliquely, people yeah. attacked him for saying that. People in the truth movement attacked him for saying that. Said, oh, he's saying Muslims were dancing. He knows that's not true. But he didn't say that. He says people were dancing in Jersey City in areas where lots of Muslims live. He didn't uh-huh. say Muslims were dancing. He just said people were dancing in that area, celebrating. They were seen dancing. Or see, yeah, well, my, my, dancing. my friend Martin he Hill said actually. Celebrating. Martin Hill, my friend, he's a, he's a truck driver. He, he gets around to these uh, Trump rallies, and he went to a Trump rally in Michigan in 2016, and he interrupted Trump. Uh, he, he yelled at the top of his lungs, and it froze Trump. You know, usually Trump doesn't he doesn't even yeah. stop uh, for a beat when somebody you know people yell at him. He gets heckled, but Martin actually froze him by 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 yelling, "Hey Trump, it was the dancing Israelis, not the dancing Muslims." And that quickly the security grabbed Martin to hustle him out. And uh, Trump says, hey, don't don't rough him up. Uh, he's he's uh, he's one of our guys. He's on our side. <laughs> I remember that. I remember <laughs> that. He says he's yeah. one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and again, the final judgment, you know, is, is when he returns. He's going to have that kind of authority to go after 9-11. Uh, if he doesn't, well, no excuses for me. That, that's for sure. Uh, but what I'm I'm simply saying is some of the big stuff that we want all want to see uh, just could not have been done in 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 in, in that first term. The, the final judgment is going to be when he when he returns. Uh, that's all I'll say. And you know, as we discussed, this keeps coming up with him. These little wink wink things about 9/11. So, well, you know, you're counseling patients, and I guess you're the right guy for that because you you were onto this before I was. You know, your 2003 uh, book under under an alias, a stranger than fiction, yeah, yeah. covered so many of these items that I hadn't heard about then. I mean, I heard a little bit, not much. It wasn't until December 2003 I heard about David Ray Griffin's book that I jumped on board and actually researched yeah. it. But you, so your book was out at a time when I was aware of just a I, tiny I, I fraction. Actually wrote, I actually wrote that original book in 2000. Too and and put some final right. touches on it and it was published in 2003 because I knew the morning of the attack who did it and why. How about that? <laughs> well, I, I I suspected it. I'll admit I suspected it, but I just thought yeah. oh, we'll never know for sure. But yeah, you were you were you were on it. So let's let's explain how we both basically. I mean, I, I my first impression was wow, you know, it's only you know the Israelis are going to totally profit from this. I suspect that you know, they were probably behind it one way or another. So I assume you came to the same conclusion. Yeah. Well, you know, once one understands historical precedents, then things that happen in the uh, the present day obviously become much easier to interpret. So yeah. So, uh, so what are the big historical precedents? Well, I, I mentioned these in my new booklet, Crash Course 9/11 Inside Job, which, by the way, is available on Amazon if you just put it in the search engine, Crash Course 9/11 Inside Job. But a uh, big precedent. Uh, is the bombing of the King David Hotel in Jerusalem in um, 1948. So situation was after the, uh, the the British were in control of Palestine at that time. They had stolen it after World War One as part of a dirty deal and allowed Jewish immigration to take place there, but it was still under British control. So, but now they wanted the British out. So the British headquarters was stationed at the King David Hotel, and um, 
terrorists dressed as Arabs planted explosives, and while they were in there acting suspiciously, they were discovered, a shootout ensued, uh, but they managed to detonate a huge portion of the building uh, before they escaped. So what, what is the precedent we learned there? We learned, well, one, that they, uh, they imitate Arabs in, in order to blame them for a terrorist attack, okay? And second, they're good at blowing up buildings. And, uh, you know, in large measure, because of the bombing of the King David Hotel, the British just, uh, you know, they're already like broke from World War II. They just kind of said, let's just get out of here, you know, let, <laughs> let the Jews have Israel. So uh, very important precedent, two, two of them. One is the false flag element, and the other is blowing up buildings. So but the, the false flag the element of, didn't su- didn't succeed in the King David. Well, no, it it, it 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 didn't it didn't because they were kind of caught in the act dressed up as as, as Arabs. So that part of it didn't succeed. But clearly, then they got caught. They got caught again with the Levant affair in 1953. That's right. well, you know, I, I I wish I had included that in this booklet, but yeah, that's right. You had the the, the Levant affair again. Staging of uh, terror attacks and bombings aimed at American and British property in order to get us to begin turning against the the Arabs. Uh, total false flags. So uh, and it's it's known some of you know Mossad people have even written about this as well as like whistleblowers that I mean they dedicate quite some resources to training Israeli agents uh, speak Arab. You know some of some of the more olive-skinned Sephardic ones are put to this use. They, they imitate Arabs and they do bad things. <laughs> They've been doing this for decades. Okay? Well, uh, I, I think right, right before 9-11, uh, there was a U.S. military report warning against the Israelis and their ability to carry out acts of terrorism uh, and make it look like Arabs had done it. Yeah, that's right. There's actual... Uh, you know, I mean, and our military intelligence knows the game. They know they know what's going. <clears throat> they know what's going on. They know what these people do. Right. So, so then the question becomes, yeah. why why did they let them get away with it? I've asked this of Gordon Duff, the former uh, CIA guy that used to run Veterans Day, now does the IntelDrop.com, which is a interesting site. Anyway, he you know, he said, oh, it would have been civil war. You know, and and then there's uh, what's his name, Colonel Dom de Grand Pre, uh, wrote an essay uh, in that book by the a Catholic uh, publisher. Uh, people sort of questioning 9/11 and the war on terror, in which uh, he said he got on the on the line with a bunch of high-level military officers right after 9/11, and they all discussed the fact that they knew that this was a false flag event, and they pretty yeah. much knew who did it, uh, namely Israel. Uh, and the question was, what are they going to do about it? And apparently, you know, he doesn't really explain uh, what what they concluded, other than maybe that they just were unable to do anything about it. But why? I don't know. Anyway, Duff said he he says, oh, it would have been civil war. So I don't know. What, what do you think? Why? why well, well, the, would, the, the only thing they could have done at that time would have amounted to a coup, which would have been responded to with a civil war while the deep state was at peak strength. And that's yeah. always been that has always been the problem they faced. Uh, then the other problem is, is uh, you know, the information that you have technically is, you know, gathered without a warrant. You know, I mean, there's no legal means. What are you going to do, like tell the president? So, I mean, the predicament the military has always been in, and this goes back to uh, even World War II when they had a, a, a surveillance program called the Venona Operations where – they um, they were monitoring Soviet communications, and in the process, they came to learn that the Roosevelt administration 
was infested with communist Soviet spies. Okay, they couldn't do anything. What, what could you do with that information? So this is this has always been a problem for that. Uh, which brings me back to my thesis about Trump, that what's been going on these last eight years is indeed the military doing something about it, uh, but in a, in a protracted legal means or stuff going on behind the scenes. And, 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 but anyway, the culmination of this plan, I maintain, is to bring Trump back, as it was always intended to come back, and then we will finish them off uh, in a legal manner that does not involve an overt civil war, which literally could have killed millions of Americans. Because if you have some kind of military coup to remove this criminal entity that was running the country in 2001 and beyond, uh, you, you know, you, you would have split the military if you tried something like that and had a Russian civil war scenario or a Spanish civil war scenario where it's actually military against military plus your irregular militias on the respective sides. You know? but, but what about people who say that the you know return of Trump could also lead to this kind of civil war scenario just because maybe it's partly because the other side, if, if what you're saying is right, Mike, then the other side probably would realize that that's what's going on. And this is why you would have Donald Kagan writing an op-ed for the Washington yeah. Post calling for the but assassination I, I, of Trump. I, by, this, by this time, they've, they've, been, uh, they've, they've been neutered. There's things going on behind the scenes. This, this is why NATO did nothing uh, while Putin undertook his military operation in eastern Ukraine. They, they, did, they really did nothing. Okay? They sent, supposedly they sent some tanks and weaponry, but that wasn't the plan. The plan was... And, you know, Hillary Clinton made this clear. John McCain made this clear years ago. They said, Nate, we need to start the process of bringing Ukraine into NATO. Okay. And it was for this reason. They were aiming at nothing less than World War III with Russia. Okay. Uh, clearly, that's not going to happen. Putin has won. He's just mopping up whatever it is left that's going on over there. And the question is, you know, where they had their moment, they had their, their, their moment to get their, their world war. It hasn't happened because of the things that have happened be, behind the scenes. NATO and, and Trump just, just a few weeks ago, what was he saying? You know, uh, you know, if NATO doesn't pay. I don't care. Let the Russians do whatever they want in Europe. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I thought that was and, hilarious and because obviously, obviously that you know, that's, that's like yeah. a joke or at least it's 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 half. It's yeah, it's basically a joke. And then the whole media yeah. pretends that they don't get it, that, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> well, right, right. Well, but that's, that's, part, that's part of his shtick. But the, the, the main point there is, is, is NATO is 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 going to be gone. I really believe when he returns that it's just they're just going to. Uh, they may just kill the organization altogether or just so fundamentally alter it that it really you know has no teeth it hasn't it has no teeth now so and that's because of these things that have been happening and, and trump is you know is the front man for that you know he didn't start any wars and there's there's not going to be a world war three in, in 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 europe and then this was all part of their plan world war three was was their ultimate you know culmination they were they that's what they were going to push for probably in the hopes that it would stay regional for on, on Europe. I mean they don't care. They've got underground cities if they have to escape. Well, let, let me throw out a, a different possible yeah. view here. Okay, let's say that the deep state 
is made up of people who are you know, pushing both the American and Israeli empires to their limits. Uh, and the neocons are people who are primarily loyal to greater Israel. But in order to get greater Israel, they think the U.S. empire has to take the gloves off and, and they'll be on steroids. So those people are in charge. And so they look at the world. They see that China is actually the pure competitor that is the you know, rising number two power that we're going to have to fight the preemptive war against. And they think that if we can collapse Russia by suckering it into what amounts to an inter-Slav civil war with Ukraine and then sanction it to death, and collapse its economy because it's just a big gas station, you know, with with nuclear weapons. Uh, now we've collapsed Russia. Putin's gone. A new Yeltsin is in there. Russia's a non-factor, and now we've got China completely surrounded, and we can bend them to our will and defeat them in war if necessary. So that's the way the pro-American empire think, people are thinking, and they're also thinking that, you know, and, and all this means the U.S. continues to rule the world unchallenged, as the Wolfowitz doctrine says. And with that power, we can continue to protect greater Israel as it continues to expand and commit genocide. So that, that's what they're trying to accomplish. Therefore, I don't well, think they were trying exactly to get into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. exactly their plan. Exactly. Uh, you nailed it. With, with a backup of, and if it doesn't quite go that way, we could just go all out with a, with a war against Russia if we had yeah. to. But it hasn't happened. It's completely collapsed. Uh, Putin is in such control of Russia, you don't see any of these so-called spontaneous grassroots demonstrations anymore. You know, they, they amount to nothing. I mean, the, the danger to Russia was real. The danger of internal subversion, that's completely gone. He, he masterfully used this war to, to smoke out the remaining pockets of the traitors. And I'm not just talking about the street activists who are funded by the West, the Soros groups, but even like within the Russian media and the Russian Duma, you drew a line. You either support this war or you're on you're on uh, you're a traitor. Basically, the word he used is we we will always be able to distinguish this, the Russian true Russians from the scum and the traitors. The media went nuts. He said scum and traitors and they outed themselves. OK, and, and these people now are they're powerless. And, and, and the Jewish ones have fled to Israel, Dubai, the big oligarchs. It puts in total control now. So everything's like. So the idea, which was, the, you know, the neocon idea of inter internally subverting him. Do you remember that famous tweet by John McCain? Hey, Vlad, there's an Arab Spring coming to Russia soon or something like that. Uh, they had that kind of muscle back then to pose an internal threat and overthrow Putin. It was, it was a big danger that's completely been neutralized, crushed, destroyed. It's simply not going to happen, uh, nor is there going to be any division between Russia and China. So the whole geopolitical situation, Central Asia now is completely uh, much to the chagrin of the big new Brzezinski, rotten hell. They're completely off the plantation and they're under the economic, uh, I won't say domination, you know, influence or integration of, of the Russia-China a block like countries like right. Kazakhstan. Now we're out of Afghanistan, so they lost Central Asia. They lost Russia. They're not going to get China. No, the whole Muslim uh, world at this point is is siding with Russia and China because of the American well, they, support yeah, for the genocide yeah, I mean, of Palestine. The, the, the new world, the new world order is is, is dead. They, yeah. They're not putting. You're not putting. They're not going to put all that back together. They don't even have Eastern Europe anymore. 
uh, and their so-called right-wing parties in Western Europe are gaining traction. So, um, and, and they, they write about, they lament this fact. If you read like uh, the Foreign Affairs, the Journal of the Council of Foreign Relations, they, they openly say the death of the liberal New World Order, blah, blah. They're, they're crying in their milk. It, it's, you know, it's over. You know, that doesn't mean wanting to break a utopia and that we don't have problems. But as far as this global monstrosity that was, they were hoping to put together all these years, centuries, really, um, it's gone. And I credit Putin and Trump for that. And you think if Trump, really Trump comes back into office, Trump could preside over a transition from this American empire pursuing a new world order to an American republic minding its own business and rebuilding its own infrastructure and so on. Well, that that is the promise that, that he had given us to right on his inauguration day when there was that very strange moment when military officers came on the podium and surrounded him on each side for 45 seconds and then left. And and the words that he spoke at that moment were, we are taking uh, the government back and then giving it back to you, the people. And then the officers left. And then the media was making fun of it, like, oh, what is this, some kind of glitch? What, what were they doing there? They screwed up. Uh, but then there was a, there was like actually a communist website was like all bent out of shape about it. it like, what does he say? What, what was the meaning of these officers on stage? Is there, this is very concerning. And it's interesting. The officer on his left had a striped hat indicating he was from army intelligence. The officer on his right had a different striped hat of JAG, which is judge advocate general. So one is the branch that gathers uh, evidence on the bad guys, and the other would be the branch that prosecutes the bad guys in, in tribunals. So, to, you know, take that as you wish. But it just goes back to my thesis of there's something more to Trump than just uh, Trump. You know? So what you're, what you're saying, Mike, it sounds like a kind of more uh, rational, sane, and evidence-based version of the sort of craziness that we heard from the Q movement. Uh, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't put it this way. Any, any craziness that came out of the Q movement was some of its more fanatical adherents putting two and two together and coming up with five on their own. But if you stick religiously to the Q posts themselves, uh, and then you look at the the events happening at the time, as well as what's transpiring now, uh, not so crazy after all. <laughs> you know, like for example, Q never said uh, JFK Jr. is 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 alive and he's going to come back and be Trump's vice president. No, that was just some of the more zealous elements of the movement. So you know, you, you had that configuration of Q posts and Q the followers. Um, so, you know, that's an important distinction to, to make, but the, that there is some sort of military operation guiding these events that have actually dismantled the New World Order and the neocons, et cetera. Uh, you know, to, to me, it's quite obvious. Uh, but again, for me, you know, the, the final test is, is will indeed, will things like what we're talking about today, this booklet, will 9-11 truth, you know, and a whole lot of other dirt. Will it finally be exposed? Because that's what's going to, that's the only thing, these kinds of things, these shocking disclosures, they not only need to be, you know, exposed and the perpetrators punished, but beyond that, the whole 
damn public has to have it thrown in their face and they have to be shocked because that's the only thing that will break this mass hypnosis that the general public, the majority of the general public is under. You understand? So, you know, that for me is that's my ultimate verdict on Trump's next term. Well, I hope it plays out that way. I, I've got, you know, Trump supporting friends, yeah. I think, who, who would totally agree with you. My frequent radio guest and former campaign manager, uh, Rolf Lindgren, uh, I'm sure would totally agree. He's always trying to convince me that, you know, Trump is standing against the new world order. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the actual progress that we'll see uh, if indeed Trump comes back, uh, I don't know. I mean, he did. He increased greatly, increased the military budget when he was in in office. But I, you know, what we're talking about is what we what we really need is to bring you know all the troops home from all those foreign bases. And I don't know. Trump his he he didn't ever seem to be saying that that was what he was yeah. going to do. Much less actually make any movements in that direction. Instead, he he raised the military budget. And it's the biggest. I think it was the biggest single uh, jump ever, uh, or at least it, without yeah. a, a major war. Well, you know, I, uh, again, and, you know, I, I don't want to sound like uh, I, I defend him at all terms, like, you know, he's my cult leader or anything like that. But this is, a, you have to look at the context. He's coming into office. He's got an a entirety of the Democrat Party against him. Uh, uh, probably 70% of the Republicans at that time against him, which includes the entire leadership. And by the way, this is a little something that's kind of happened under the radar goes back to my point over the past um seven years exactly as q uh, one of the q posts indicated it's very clear it says there's going to be a lot of resignations um these these are forced these are congressmen who are put under submission this is before anybody resigns and then two months later paul ryan in his 40s you know speaker of the house former vp candidate comes out and says he's resigning, you know, want to spend more time with my family, some other nonsense like that. And then there was a whole rash of them, Bob Corker, Jeff Flake, and then you have the strange death of John McCain. It's going on and on and on to the present time, to the point now there, there's more between the Congress and the Senate. There's been 120 Republicans who are gone. A lot of them, most of them by re- resignation, some of them were primaried out of their seats, like Liz Cheney, the neocon queen. And it's still going on. I mean, Romney's not coming back. Pat Toomey's not coming back. Ben Sass. These are all senators, powerful people. And they've all been replaced, in most cases, by a Trump Republican. So this is really an astonishing transformation of, of the Republican Party, which I compare to what Eisenhower did, only in reverse. He, he uh, he undermined all the conservatives and brought in all the rhinos. <laughs> you know, at, at that time, you know, the Republican Party was an America First conservative party. Eight years of Eisenhower, and it was the party of Rockefeller. Well, well, yeah, the w- Wendell Wilkie coup d'état, the Republican Convention, nineteen forty, was sort of the first uh, shot against well, the. That, yeah, that, that was a big move towards it. He got in, but still, he didn't represent the majority of the party. By the time Eisenhower was done, I'm talking numerically. Yeah. The congressional contingent, the Senate contingent has com- completely tilted over uh, irrevocably to, to the Republican side. I mean, you know, there was a little bump with Goldwater in 64 and Reagan, mm-hmm. but that, those things didn't last. It wasn't until now that it's been reversed. And um, 
So what, what Eisenhower built, uh, Trump is people. taken down. <laughs> <laughs> these are all his people when he comes back. So it's a rubber stamp. Okay. And well, you know, we, we hit the end of the hour. Big difference. Big difference from eight years ago. <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, that's a breath of fresh air that this guy, the establishment, apparently uh, hates with such a passion that they have to engage in such absurd lawfare against him. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's a reason for that. Well, thank you so much, Mike King of RealNewsAndHistory.com, author of Crash Course 911 Inside Job Debunking the Official Story in Just One Hour. Uh, so, highly recommended work. Uh, keep keep up the great work, and let's talk again soon. All right, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to Revolution.